Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. In recent days, tensions have further escalated in the Middle East with the U.S. strikes on Iran-linked targets in Iraq and Syria. There have also been U.S. coal strikes with the U.K. on Houthi forces, which have been blamed for attacks on ships in the Red Sea. What may be the response from these strikes? Are we seeing more spillover effects of the Israel-Palestine conflict? And how should we evaluate the U.S. role in the Middle East? Joining me today are Zhao Hai, Director of International Political Studies at the National Institute for Global Strategy, Professor Saeed Mohammad Morandi from the University of Tehran, and Kawa Hassan, a non-resident fellow from the Middle East and North Africa program of Stimson Center. Welcome to Dialogue. So, uh, Mr. Hassan, let's start with you. You know, we see, we know that in the past few days, the U.S. launched strikes against the targets in Iraq and Syria. So tell us, what were those targets? Well, those targets were, uh, you know, linked to uh, some Iraqi uh, militias, uh, pro-Iran uh, groups who, uh, who have, you know, uh, bases inside Iraq, uh, but also operate across the border uh, with Syria. And uh, these were uh, heavy bombardment. Uh, we haven't seen such heavy bombardments really in years by, by the US. So the, the message clearly was that to send a very, very strong message <clears throat> to these Iraqi groups uh, that uh, we will respond to, uh, and, and forcefully, this time around, we will respond very forcefully if you, if you attack us. So um, we definitely see here a spillover of the Gaza war and also an impact on, um, on Iraq and, and also on Syria. Mm -hmm. uh, Professor Murandi, so uh, what's the response? You know, we are seeing criticism of, or condemnation from Syria and Iraq for the violation of the sovereignty, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, in reality, you know, what can they do? Is there anything they can do? Is there anything can the militia groups being attacked by the U.S.? Or will they do anything in response? Well, the United States is digging itself deeper into a hole. Uh, what the what the regime in Washington did was that it bombed Iraqi armed forces. The Popular Mobilization Forces are a part of the Iraqi military. Those bases that the U.S. struck in Iraq were to defend the country against ISIS. And we do know that in Al-Tanaf, the United States is cooperating with tribes that were in past a part of ISIS. They These tribes, these militias, carry out attacks for example, on Syrian army positions, on buses that take Syrian army soldiers, and they do the same in Iraq. In fact, right after the U.S. airstrikes in Iraq against uh, positions that were built by the Iraqi armed forces, this is the Iraqi budget, it's, it was the uh, ammunition was provided by the Iraqi Ministry of Defense. Immediately after these strikes, there were four ISIS attacks on these bases. And the same is true in Syria. The United States, just in Iraq, where the Iraqi parliament voted for the Americans to leave four years ago, and the Americans refused to leave, uh, they've taken the Iraqis hostage by holding their budget. Iraqi oil sales go to a bank, go to banks in the United States, and then come to Iraq. So the Americans, whenever the Iraqis want sovereignty, the Americans begin to spoon feed Iraq with their own money. 
In the case of Syria, the United States occupies one third of the country. Uh, they steal the oil from the northeast. They steal the grains that are produced in the northeast. And in Al-Tanaf, as I said, they train former tribes that were formerly a part of ISIS. So the United States is not retaliating. They are an illegal occupation force. And it's interesting, the positions that they struck in Syria and Iraq had nothing to do with those resistance groups that struck the United States. Those resistance groups use missiles and they use drones. And they don't fight from those bases. They don't attack from those bases. The U.S., since they have no access to these people, they're spread out, their assets are underground. They went and attacked positions in Syria and Iraq that are there to prevent ISIS from regaining its foothold between Syria and Iraq. So the United States is only hurting itself. It's, it's murdering people, but it's seen as occupation force, and it's seen as doing this to help the Israelis continue with the genocide. Mm -hmm. Well, there's uh, a lot uh, about this uh, event there. Uh, Dohai, you know, if you take a look at uh, the whole situation in this region, uh, first uh, you have this Gaza attack and Gaza war, and then you have this, of course, involvement of other militia groups, for example, from uh, Lebanon or other parts uh, in this region. And then you have this Houthi uh, uh, you know, rebels. Uh, you know, attacks and you know, retaliation, retaliatory attacks from U.S., U.K., and now you have a further spread. It seems there's this spillover effects. This is getting getting larger and larger. The effects. Is that the case? Are we seeing uh, escalating of the tensions here? Well, absolutely. Uh, two points. Number one, I think uh, the spillover effect is very obvious. Uh, now the war is not limited in Gaza, and because of the war in Gaza continues, and that is further instigating uh, other parts of the Middle East uh, getting agitated, and militants are more and more joining this conflict by attacking U.S. assets uh, and Western assets in general in the Middle East. So the uh, retaliation by the United States is only uh, adding fuel to this current fire, and it's going to further escalate and have a further spillover effect around the globe. And right now, not just war, but the uh, uh, situation in the Red Sea is disrupting supply chain globally. As far as we know, there are uh, around 10% uh, of the global shipping business going through Red Sea. And now that's been disrupted, uh, escalating the inflation situation around the world and further damaging the recovery of the world economy. And second point is that, uh, uh, as the professor just uh, pointed out, this kind of uh, military uh, uh, muscle flexing by the United States is not exactly retaliating, but to showcasing the U.S. military power and trying to fend off the further uh, attack by the local militias and militants. However, this is only serving U.S. domestic situation because this is uh, Biden administration is getting desperate, uh, trying to show that they have the power to retaliate, they have the ability to control the local situation, not escalating into a general regional war, uh, and also to try to save its campaign domestically, because right now the rating of the uh, Biden uh, campaign uh, effort is really low. So I think the overall situation is uh, gradually out of control. And there's a great danger that this is going to further escalate into a bigger conflict in the region. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Hassan, back to you here. You know, we see that the U.S. Uh, you know uh, launched strikes against some militia groups or targets, yes, beyond Iran. 
they didn't uh, you know, target it, uh, didn't target the you know you know any any parts of Iran or any uh, groups inside Iran. Uh, is there a difference? What's the consideration? You know, or if besides the strikes, is there a message for Iran from from Washington here? Yes. So first of all, I think. Um, Indeed, um, the spillover of the Gaza war into the wider region is clear cut. It's, it's very obvious. And the consequences are very uh, serious and dangerous. So the, the, you know, the situation is, I mean, Middle East literally is a tinderbox at this moment. At the same time, neither US nor Iran, the two key players, or, you know, um, in addition, of course, to Israel, neither Iran nor US wants to enter into a direct war, which is, you know, which is, this is a good news because I think should that happen, that will be disastrous for everyone, for, for the US uh, interest, for Iran, for Iraq, for Syria, for, you know, for the entire region. So it's, it's, that's good that neither wants to engage in a direct war, but the, the, the consequence of this is that then this, you know, um, uh, this 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 problem between, on the one hand, U.S. and Israel and Iran is fought in other fronts, and indeed, in this case, um, U.S. wants to send a message to Iran, to send a message to pro-Iran uh, armed groups from uh, you know PMF, the Al Hashd Al Shaabi. The question is, um, is it efficient to deter these groups? and also to re-establish deterrence, uh, probably in the short term, yes, because uh, as I said, this latest round of attacks by the US are different from previous ones, are very forceful. You know, um, they attacked uh, some key um, uh, control and command centers in, in Western Iraq and also inside Syria. And um, and, and the message is, is clear to, to these groups that we will retaliate and we want to re-establish deterrence. In the short term, that may work to re-establish deterrence, but I think in the long term, absence a political strategy by the US, Western countries, but also other countries, you know, remember the key, the five members of the Security Council, absent a political strategy to address the root cause of the conflict in this particular case, which is the war in Gaza, whereby a political horizon should be provided to Palestinians, they should get their viable Palestinian state, and also at the same time ensuring safety and security of Israel, unless this core issue, the root cause of the problem is addressed, I'm afraid these you know, attacks, counter attacks, will be part of the you know, regional politics in the region for some time to come. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Professor Morandi here, uh, of course, the U.S., uh, it, you know, the message or the purpose is to deter further attacks on the U.S. Uh, troops uh, present in this region. Do you think that will work? And also, you know, Iran condemned the U.S., you know, criticized the U.S. strikes, calling it a strategic mistake. Is there any potential response from Iran to here? No, it won't have any impact short or long on the resistance. The U.S. is incapable. It's incapable of uh, weakening the resistance. By carrying out these attacks, they're only marginalizing themselves and creating more contempt for the United States, not only in Iraq and Syria, but across the region, 
and across the global south, because we all know that the United States is doing this to help Israel. This is all about enabling genocide. Just as in Yemen, when the Yemeni armed forces, Ansarullah, what the West likes to call the Houthis, when they blockaded the Syrian, the Israeli port, because it wanted to stop the genocide, the United States began to kill Yemeni soldiers. Whereas the Yemenis didn't kill anyone. They, they warned ships away, those ships that refused orders. They struck them with light weapons to make them go back. The Americans escalated. They started killing sailors and bombing Yemen. And now we see that American and British ships alongside those affiliated to Israel can no longer use the Red Sea. And today we saw that uh, another American ship and another British ship was uh, struck uh, in the Red Sea. So the United States, by intensifying its attacks, it's doing nothing but making the situation worse. In Yemen, they cannot degrade the military capabilities because all those capabilities are deep underground in tunnels. The missiles, the drones, the uh, mobile radar systems, they are portable. They go out, strike within minute, uh, uh, carry out an attack, and within it, within minutes, they're back underground. The Americans can fire hundreds of missiles, each costing a huge amount of money, but they won't do anything to these Yemeni capabilities. The same is true in Syria and Iraq. The Americans have only struck open targets that have nothing to do with the resistance against the United States. They have everything to do with ISIS. So the Americans are only making it, their occupation more costly. They're only making themselves more disliked and despised. And they're not helping Israel to escape defeat in Gaza. The Israelis have been defeated on the battlefield by Hamas and Islamic Jihad, but they've also, the greatest defeat that the Israelis have suffered is that they've suffered uh, a humiliating defeat in the eyes of public opinion. They've been exposed as a regime that carries out genocide. And the more the West and the US tries to help Israel, the more the West and the US are associated with this horrible genocide that is unprecedented in world history because we're seeing it happen in front of our eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Johail, of course, you know, as we, you know, said, discussed this, uh, the source of this tension is uh, this uh, Gaza, uh, you know, Gaza crisis, is the uh, Israel-Palestinian, uh, you know, issue there. And of course, Israel and uh, the uh, backer of Israel, that's the United States. And then people are talking about, the, you know, the, the seems to be permanent presence of the U.S. military forces in Syria and Iraq. And you know what? What are the the justification? What is the justification from Washington, like, to continue to stay in Iraq and in Syria, uh, even when this, uh, let's say, the war against ISIS is was finished? Well, the official justification, um, you know, by Americans is that ISIS is still there. They wanted to maintain level of uh, presence so that they can continue to monitor and try to push back and destroy uh, ISIS forces on the ground. However. Uh, we all know that there's other uh, priorities for Americans to stay there and to try to curb the expansion of Iranians and to uh, push back the influence, the expanding influence of uh, Iranian-linked uh, militant groups. Um, so I think there's no real justification from the international law of uh, there's no authorization by the United Nations. So from our perspective, of course, there's no uh, legal uh, ground for the United States to continue to stay there. 
Right now, of course, there's only a very limited number of U.S. troops stationed there, 2,500 in Iraq, 900 in uh, Syria. That's not a big troop number. However, uh, their presence there is uh, you know, right for targets, for the local militias to target them. So it's very easy to uh, imagine that uh, those militias will uh, attack American bases and then giving the U.S. the excuse to retaliate. So I think, you know, by putting uh, continuous presence, the U.S. base in those regions, that gives uh, a U.S. an excuse to continue to stay there uh, without complete withdrawal from Iraq. Now, however, uh, by the end of last month, uh, Iraqi government started to negotiate a total withdrawal of U.S. troops from Iraq. And we will wait and see uh, how that will progress. But, uh, you know, at present, when they are still in the fight, there's impossible for the U.S. to agree to, to a complete withdrawal. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to emphasize one other point, which is that, you know, the, the U.S. wanted to prioritize the war in Ukraine. They want to focus on that. And the attack in Gaza is a big distraction. And now they want to end that. However, the, the Israeli government right now has no exit strategy. So the U.S. is trying to help them to design and execute an exit strategy. And they do not want to escalate the war in the region because that's going to be very difficult and further distract their resources from uh, supplying the Ukrainians. So I think now it's a big mess for the Biden administration to get out of. Mm. Uh, so Mr. Hassan, so what's the U.S. strategy in terms of the Middle East, in terms of Gaza crisis, in terms of, of course, their presence in Iraq, Syria, relationship with Iran, and uh, you know, strikes against the Houthis? You know, what, what, is there an exit strategy for them too? <laughs> It's a good question. I think uh, Americans are, I mean, they are facing a real uh, strategic dilemma here uh, because on, uh, first of all, um, the, um, the only way to end the Gaza war is first to have a permanent ceasefire, have, uh, you know, humanitarian access to Gaza. And then after that, start serious negotiations between Palestinian Authority and Israeli government, mediated by U.S., by uh, regional countries like Egypt, Qatar, and other powers, international powers as well, maybe China, Russia can also play here. But uh, that is, I mean, that's, that's in the long term. And I even doubt whether that would be possible in the long term, because what we see right now, given the U.S. support to Israel, you know, U.S. has lost a lot in terms of in terms of credibility in the region. And, um, and also at the same time, um, Israel is uh, the Israeli government. Uh, you know, it's opposed to any kind of a permanent ceasefire. What they are interested in is a truce, uh, short truce, you know, could be, I don't know, 30 days, 40 days, whatever, get as many hostages, you know, released by, by, by Hamas, and then maybe start some sort of negotiation. And here is the problem. I mean, unless you tackle the root cause of the problem in Middle East, which is a, a just settlement for the Palestinian issue, I'm afraid, you know, we will see this round of escalation time and again. And I would like just to, you know, bring to your attention a very interesting article, which was published in 1998, if I'm not mistaken, by a um, Palestinian academic, Khalil Shukaki. And the title was, and it was reposted this month in Foreign Affairs, and the title was Peace Now or Hamas Later. And this was in 1998, right? So you can imagine 
I mean, that was almost, you know, uh, um, kind of, you know, seeing the future we are now right now. So does the U.S., back to your question, does, do they have a, a long-term strategy? I doubt it. I don't think so, particularly because also, you know, uh, Biden, uh, you know, is, U.S. is now in an election season. And uh, the utmost U.S. Biden administration will do is, again, trying to uh, facilitate a sort of a, of a, of a truce. And as far as Houthis and Yemen is concerned, also, you know, there is no political strategy at all to, ad to ad address the root cause in Yemen. So bombardment of Houthis may weaken them for a while, but it will not degrade their capacities. And, and here there is, again, a need to address the political problem in Yemen, a political settlement between Houthis and, and, and other groups. And I don't see that happening. The only game in town, if you like, right now for Yemen, for to de-escalate is actually the negotiations between Houthis and Saudis, but that's also you know it's facing a big risk due to the to the current um, you know attacks by U.S. and U.K. on on Houthis and also of course the Houthi attacks on on merchant and, and merchant ships and military ships in the in in Red Sea and Babylonia. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true. Uh, uh, Professor Morandi, you know, what do you see the prospect of the end game, for example, in Gaza? Or do you agree, you know, fundamentally it's about the Gaza crisis, it's about the, the you know, the normal status quo, you know, status or a normal country, uh, you know, uh, in the Palestine, for the Palestinians, and a normal relationship between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Uh, so is that, uh, you know, if that's somehow resolved, and then we can see, uh, peace will prevail in this region? The old order dominated by the United States is coming to an abrupt end. And as the United States declines, and as Europe declines, Europe declining actually much faster than the United States, the fortunes of the Israeli regime decline as well. And you also have simultaneously the rise of new powers or old powers in the global south that uh, counterbalance the weight of the West. And the, the West, instead of trying to find a solution or to, to be able to come to terms with the growing powers and the changing uh, situation across the world, instead of trying to sit down and negotiate and build f new friendships or at least to ease tensions, the United States wants to battle everyone on all fronts. They double down, whether it's in Ukraine, whether it's in West Asia, or whether it's in East Asia. It doesn't make a difference. And this is not sustainable. The Israeli regime is an apartheid regime. I think now everyone recognizes that across the globe. Even in the West, there's a sea change in public opinion, despite the fact that Western media is tightly controlled and tries to uh, shift uh, the blame away from the Israeli regime and hide the genocide that's taking place. People see it on social media, even though social media itself is centering the voices of the pro-Palestinian side. In Yemen, the United States, every time it bombs Yemen, it only makes Ansarullah, the Yemeni armed forces, or what the West likes to call the Houthis, more popular. Today, they are seen as heroes across the the, the West Asia, North Africa, and beyond. And the same is true in Lebanon, the same is true in Iraq and Syria, and the same is true in Palestine. So the Israelis have lost this war, they've lost their soft power capabilities alongside the West, 
and they the west has discredited itself at the same time so the west cannot be an honest broker here so right now we're in a situation where israel is moving towards decline it's seen as weak vulnerable and incapable of behaving normally and the west is not willing to rein in netanyahu or pull hard on the leash of the israeli regime so what i see in future is the rise of greater contempt for the regime the rise of greater contempt for the west and the west continued decline what does that mean in the future we'll have to see so many different things are happening simultaneously but we must remember that even as the war is raging and the genocide is taking place in west asia there is a heavy there are heavy battles taking place in ukraine and within the next few weeks and few months we're going to see russian advances across the board including odessa where they will probably make uh, ukraine a landlocked country so the west by trying to as i said at the beginning fight with everyone simultaneously they're going to lose across the board simultaneously Mm -hmm. uh, well, Johai, if you continue to focus on this uh, area, this region, for example, in Yemen, uh, you know, when uh, reported uh, attacks uh, from, uh, by the Houthi rebels on the, you know, uh, let's say merchant ships, of course, there's, there's a UN, uh, uh, you know, UN approved actually uh, you know, criticism, uh, disapproval of that kind of uh, practice. But of course, you know, few people would agree with the U.S. by attacking uh, the Houthis, by launching these uh, so-called reprisals, uh, because people see that does, will not work. And what we are seeing now is not working. What makes the U.S. think that will work in the first place? You know, by launching a strikes against the Houthis, that will serve as a deterrence. And then Houthis somehow will behave, will not attack anymore. Well, you know, that's the uh, first answer the U.S. would like to go to, using force, you know, because in, in the um, past uh, many decades, uh, the U.S. always wanted to use force to resolve any problem. They, they see a nail, they want to use a hammer. So uh, I think uh, in the Houthi situation, the U.S. still believe that they have uh, military superiority and therefore they can use the force to stop these kind of uh, attack and deter further escalation of the situation. And we now see that uh, Houthis not only maintain their attacking ability, uh, but also, you know, continue to attack. Just now, the two ships uh, belongs to the U.S. And, and U.K. are attacked. So I think the situation will continue. As long as the situation in Gaza is not resolved, uh, these uh, kind of uh, conflict exchange in the Red Sea will continue. However, the this issue, I think, at this point, critical point, is that uh, we still have a huge humanitarian crisis on our hands. There are still millions of uh, Palestinians are now in hunger and uh, we need to, you know, save them as soon as possible. And right now we're stuck at the how to resolve the situation. Uh, apparently, the, uh, the Israelis wanted to eradicate Hamas from Gaza. And now that task seems to be very remote. And the U.S. is trying to help to build an authority to take over control of Gaza after the war. Many thanks to our guests. You can also find us on the CJTN app on YouTube. I'm Xu Jindo. Thanks for being with us.